And they're not going to let me read it all. <laughs> I'll let you. Here, you can start no. us off. Can you? Oh, here. Can I'll I read backwards? Read Go ahead. Brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I see a bird looking at me. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. The elder abuse continues here on the Ruthless Variety program. That was your president, Joe Biden, uh, at an Easter South Lawn event yesterday, which I don't know if you saw the highlights from that, fellas, but my Lord. Well, I mean, just the fact that he got that one sentence out of the book is probably his personal highlight <laughs> based on the other footage that I saw. There, he, you had he, a doctor right next to him who was questioning his ability. <laughs> Wouldn't let him read yeah. it. Yeah, wouldn't let well, him read it. Or the uh, the Easter Bunny uh, coming in in the middle of of Joe Biden talking about Ukraine to basically you know scuttle him off away from the reporter. Yeah, like waving their arms like disaster, disaster. Like, in in it, a bunny suit. So for those of you who didn't see this, the, the president typically goes out and interacts with people on the South Lawn. They do like an Easter egg hunt and that kind of thing, and. He walked over, maybe unsuspectingly, I don't know if he knows what he's doing or not, but he walked over to the rope line where the press were, and they were asking him questions. And they began began to ask him questions, and he, he began to answer. And as soon as he did, a fully costumed Easter bunny. Yeah. yeah. It it, Who turned out to be a White House press assistant. Yeah, well, that's the... the she flags him down and is like, wave. So you just see this bunny like waving arms in front of Joe Biden <laughs> and guiding him away from the press yeah. back into the event. And then we subsequently found out that the bunny was a press assistant. So it was like, you know, in their headset, they're getting like silver alert. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Eagles right. off the rails. He wandered whatever. off again. Yeah. And and, and and the bunny comes up with, with those arms waving, almost like full court press defense in basketball. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You know, like, it was like intense. Let's like box him out. Like uh, you know, the old man can't really his brain can't you know figure out what's going on. So you have to do like an arm wave. Like you're trying to like wave down a plane if you're stranded He's on an island. J- Got to jingle some keys in his face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine the whole? I mean- <laughs> He's also it's a it's a full furry, right? So right, I mean, he's right. trying to figure out what the heck's going on right. with that too. Yeah, you got to see it from his perspective. Like, okay, you've got so much dementia. Like, you know, large moving objects are strange. You're partially blind. He's got cataracts. I bet you. You know, older than Methuselah. Just confused as shit. Why a giant bunny is, is like here? Like out of nowhere. You didn't expect that to happen during the day. Ushering him off. Like in your the other promise direction. pudding. If you behave and go outside, and now you've got a giant bunny to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, anyway, if you saw it, you know what we're talking about. It was absolutely ridiculous. We've uh, got a big show here. We have uh, Senate candidate Congressman Ted Budd with us from the great state of North Carolina. He is running in that primary in a state Republicans absolutely have to win. I know you'll enjoy that interview. Um, and then, you know, the news the news of the day. We'll just yeah. cruise through it. Good times. Um Maybe we should start with the five stars. And, and and starting with the five stars, I'd like to specifically assign the first one to the person who loves love more than anything, uh, Michael Duncan, because I'm not sure that any of us can get through this. I'm pretty sure you can. Okay. Okay. This one is from Tam Jam B. 
I'm not your typical listener, I don't believe. I'm old enough to be all y'all's mother, for one. And for another, I'm not wholly in your political sphere. I'm actually pretty moderate, which means that while I mostly agree with you, I also frequently kind of disagree. Okay, well, that's fine. Sure. But I love to listen anyway, and I rarely miss a show. Why? Because you remind me of my son, who I lost in 2019 at the age of 34. Nick was a ruthless, perhaps even a savage conservative. Appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, a lot has changed in the two years since he died, and I've often wished I could ask him what he thought about this or that. Listening to you boys reminds me so much of the type of stuff my boy used to say that I... I It's hard to get through it. It's hard to get through it. I kind of view your show as a little window into what Nick (sighs) would probably have thought about recent events. Uh, Sometimes I argue with one of your conclusions, just like I used to argue with Nick and can almost hear him say, as he so often did, Mom, you're such a damn hippie. Anyway, I love you guys. Keep up the hard work. Oh, man. It's just it's one of those reviews. And, you know, it's it's I'm so glad that she listens. I'm glad that we provide that. Um, So thanks, Tam Jam. Can't tell you what that means to us. Uh, Let's read another one before we just devolve into crying fest here on the Ruthless Variety program. Uh, (laughs) Smug, you want this one? Sure. Uh, It says so conservatives can be funny. This is from USAUCN. Longtime listener, first time podcast reviewer. You guys demonstrate each week, twice a week, that conservatives can be funny and that Republicans aren't all stereotypically 80 years old. I love that you three slash four, it's three, can captivate all age ranges, demographics, and geographies. I had the good fortune of attending your live show in DC. Oh, nice. And hope to see a USA tour in the works shortly. Absolutely. A couple suggestions. Number one, you guys should create a ruthless dating app. It should be a prerequisite for any good conservative. I'm not sure you want that. (laughs) Number two, you should have Greg Greg Gutfeld on the show. Yeah, I feel like you'd mesh. Keep doing what you're doing and wishing all the best for Ruthless. Nat from the DMV. Wow. Well, that's a good review. We should. I'm I'm not sold on the dating app, though, Smug. I feel (laughs) like like that create more legal problems <laughs> yeah no you know my wife would love to hear that hey we're recording this podcast as our second job and also we're putting out a dating app <laughs> would not can be you great. imagine that would pretty, it go, go so well over at home pretty hard to sell on the home front <laughs> uh, we should have ashbrook read this one ashbrook you want to read one you like reading them oh is it about him we got one go um, for it <clears throat> okay so this is a five star from uh founding member ms I was a follower of Smug on Twitter for some time and waited nice. with <laughs> with bush light breath when he announced the coming of the Ruthless podcast. I quickly warmed to Holmes nice. and was hesitant about the introduction of Duncan. Oh, as no. we all were. Oh, no. As we all were. Whom I have come to love the most. Oh, Isn't look that at something? that. Especially his, oh, no, <laughs> reactions to stories. I have not missed a single episode of this three-man podcast. Hell, yeah. Even when they started allowing some random sound guy to chime in. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Payback. Great review. Great review. <laughs> payback. Seriously, what you're doing is exactly what the conservative movement needs to win back this country. Keep boning the libs, but don't take the bait. 
Keep bringing the hard-hitting issues, but keep us laughing at the same time. Hat tip, fellas. Ah, nice. Nice. Well-rounded five-star reviews uh, here today. Let's jump right in. You'll recall last week we had a talk about fighting uh, kangaroos. Mm -hmm. And then somehow... As only the Ruthless Variety program can do, we transition to koalas. Yeah, and how they're all just covered in STDs. Yeah, when I, I I guess I didn't realize that, but as you know, sort of an ombudsman fact check follow up to that, it turns out that Australia has begun vaccinating hundreds of koalas against uh, chlamydia in a new trial. Terrible animals. <laughs> I mean, like, Australia is like the land that Darwin forgot. You know what I mean? Like, where did these creatures come from? Why don't they? It's a prison colony. (laughs) For for man and nature. We we have listeners in Australia. I would remind you guys. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're insulting them left and right. But here's what I'm looking for that I can't find. Why do they have chlamydia? Like, why is it that that koalas have STDs? Like, they keep saying that they, in fact, do. And that there, are, it's very prevalent. More than half of koalas admitted into Australia Zoo Wildlife Hospital are sick with chlamydia. <laughs> this is insane. What is it? What's going on with the koalas? What? How did this happen? I mean, was it like somebody gave the koala? A koala? Like you can, you, you could visit establishments in Amsterdam that don't have a fifty percent chlamydia hit rate. <laughs> like the koalas are really like we're talking out there. I didn't see a red light district blast coming, but there it is. There it is. Uh, okay, so we just wanted to make sure you, you knew that. Here's an article that caught my eye because we often talk about, you know, sort of Democrats' casual nature of throwing racism around. You know, in fact, you've got a president of the United States that called the, or the vice president of the United States that called the now president of the United States a racist on stage during a, a, a political debate. Well, here's the other side of this. What you find more often than not is that the further left you go, the more racist takes there are. Right. Right? There's an article in The Nation, which if, you don't, if you're not familiar with it, don't become familiar with it. It's <laughs> just an absolute garbage publication. But it's entitled The Herschel Walker Senate Campaign is an Insult to Black People incredible amazing title right amazing that this is where they start so this this guy and i was looking uh ely mistal i guess his name is oh him he's he's like a factory for terrible terrible takes i mean this but this i'm not sure anybody can beat this so so listen i'm gonna read a couple of excerpts and just to get your your reaction to it uh let's start with this first one georgia republicans have embraced Walker because they think any old black person will do when it comes to their cynical strategy for defeating Raphael Warnock. Racist. That is 100% (laughs) right. That is 100% right. Herschel Walker, the football star turned Georgia Senate candidate, is an animated caricature of a black person drawn by white conservatives. Racist. I mean, are you kidding me with this? How how is it that a publication can put this into print? Well, unfortunately, Democrats and the liberal media have a track record of doing this to every black guy who decides to run for office as a Republican. Do you remember what they did to to uh, Larry Elder? Oh yeah. Remember what the the L.A. Times ran a column with the headline: "Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy." Yeah, it's insane. Outrageous. Remember what they said about Ben Carson? 
Time Magazine. Ben Carson is terrible for black Americans. Unbelievable, remember right? What, remember what MSNBC uh, said about Winsome Sears? They called her the black mouth for white supremacist Holy practices. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, God. Remember when MSNBC called uh, Clarence Thomas, a Supreme Court justice, one of the most accomplished men in American history, they called him Uncle Clarence. The things they, do, they did to Clarence Thomas, unbelievable. Seriously. They're trying the same thing on Herschel Walker. I just, I, I don't think people buy it. People and, and not are to mention so pissed. Tim Scott. I feel like oh. on a day-to-day basis, you see more about Tim Scott in, in, in like Washington Post opinion pages, remember, right? Remember when the Washington Post went at him for his background? Yeah. Remember remember that? Right. No, and so I guess this, here's what pisses me off so much about this, right? Is because nobody would talk about a piece like this except for the Ruthless Friday program because because it's, it's so disgusting you just kind of want to look away. But the fact of the matter is every time you have an African-American Republican mm-hmm. of any form, any fashion, anywhere in the political spectrum, if they're not a liberal Democrat, this kind of shit comes up. Well, in, in, and in particular, I think there's a, a new tact here that the left uses. And that is, you know, with this piece, you see it clearly is, you know, the author himself is black. Right. And he's very, very left wing. I think he's on the board at Demand Justice. Yeah. Right. The left wing dark yeah, money. The one that wants to court packing. Dark wing yeah. group that wants to pack the courts. Um because he's the author, he's given the the liberty to erect what I think is one of the most insane uh, straw man arguments about Republicans. That, that After that line about he's an animated caricature of a black person drawn by white conservatives, Walker is what they think of us. And they think we're big, ignorant, and easily manipulated. No, no, that's just what you want to say about Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker. You want to call him an Uncle Tom, but you're not allowed to call him an Uncle Tom anymore. It, so this is what you say instead. You erect this straw man argument that it's actually the Republicans who are racist in my article, which is racist. It's it's one of the most racist articles I've ever read. Right. I mean, the fact that this kind of thing shows up in 2022 is just mind blowing to me. Right. And, and, and all of it under the guise of just writing a hit piece. You know, th- that's the thing that is so incredible about this is it's just a hit piece that they've dressed up in this racial language to make it seem like the guy writing it is the good guy, when in fact he's the racist. 100%. (laughs) It's it's outrageous. Why not not step back and look at this Senate race in Georgia? Here you have a former Confederate state, and the two major candidates, one for each party, are black men. I mean that seems like a significant a significant event in American history. It is a significant event, but this is this is the way he characterizes it. The Walker campaign I'm quoting out of this this piece, this garbage piece. The Walker campaign exists as a political minstrel show. Wow. A splashy splashy rendition of what white Republicans think black people look and sound like. Racist. Of course it's racist. It's what I mean it, wow, right? I mean, I normally again, this is the kind of thing you breeze through, you don't even you don't even look at, but I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna read this thing because I really I wanna know I think what these psychos are saying. I think it's telling. This is this is the only card they really have to play. This is all they've got going for them. Like they see Joe Biden is like historically unpopular. The Democrats have had the White House, the House, the Senate. It's not just that they haven't accomplished anything, it's that things have gotten far worse for Americans under their watch and 
they can't run on any sort of a record. They can't say, oh, look what Warnock accomplished. You know, They can't say anything good about their candidates, so they're going straight for the nuclear option, and they're just going racism. Yeah. Straight racism. That's what it is. It's straight to the nuclear option. There's th- this, this last line in here. Herschel Walker's candidacy is a white insult to black people. Also, like, I love how uh, the author here prov- gives Herschel Walker as a man zero agency in his own campaign. No, like, I know. at all. Like, that's the thing that's the most racist about all this. Like, he's just a puppet. That's that's the way that this guy thinks. It doesn't. This is back to what he says. It doesn't bother me that Walker is a clown show. It bothers me that white conservatives think black voters are entertained. Well, I mean, President Trump got the highest share of of the black vote for a Republican in a presidential race in forever. Right. In a very long time. It, but but this is this is a white insult to black people. It's, it's just incredible. He goes on to explain if Walker should somehow win, uh, it's because of voter suppression. <laughs> it's got to be that. Has, I mean, has, has nothing to do with the fact that people can't afford groceries. Yeah. Right. Nothing to do with the fact that they can't afford gas. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because I thought what we would do is break out out of some of the, the polling that we have here. Oh, what are the top issues that African-Americans across the country care about? You won't be surprised to find out it's the same damn things that everybody cares yeah. about, yeah. right? Violence and crime, economic issues, housing, COVID-19. I mean, it's you go down the list. You go down the list. And that people like this feel like they can speak. First of all, imagine the arrogance of thinking that you speak for a race yeah. of people. Right. As if is a race is monolithic. Right. Right. And this is if you if you can steer away from my ideological view of what you ought to be, you're a puppet for another race. Right. And, and also. So, wow. So, so the, the Pew poll we were just discussing uh, uh, for, for black adults, you know, asking what issues matter to them uh, the most. Four percent cited neighbors. Right. And three percent cited racism. So like the number one topic that CNN, MSNBC and the press want to talk about racism for black voters is a smaller concern than neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know about the neighbors, man. <laughs> I don't know about the neighbors, but racism, I, they feel yeah. like we're chill on right Seriously. now. Seriously. I mean, it's unbelievable that out of all the concerns, 3% is racism, and that's like 100% of the coverage on MSNBC and CNN. This is why you're going to see more black turnout for Republicans this cycle and, and continuing on for decades to come. Than, than anything else is because they have given people like this, the mainstream media have given people like this with opinions as disgusting as this guy's opinions, the agency to, to speak on behalf of a race of people and not apologize for it. Right. Like, it is just not, incredible. Not, not just speak on behalf of, but also rename. Let's not forget that they, <laughs> let's not forget that they just sort of assigned the term Latinx oh, yeah. to a whole group of people who were like, huh? <laughs> They're like, please stop. <laughs> please stop doing that. Oh, anyway, that's my soapbox of the day. I couldn't let that one go. I know that the campaign of Herschel Walker and, and, and soon to be Senator Herschel Walker is working their tails off down in Georgia. You got to have somebody fight back against this nonsense. Um, speaking of nonsense, you recall, remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the uh, dude who got shot, the rapper, Horrific. That got, that got shot. The Madame Tussauds situation. Is that situation. Gnu? 
Yeah, 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 you got it. You, you know. Yeah, it's stuck in the old man's head. That's yeah. good. And they put him in the middle of a, a, a club. And then the club the corpse, later the claimed corpse. they didn't know. Yeah, they didn't know that the corpse was suspect. in the middle of it. Very suspect. Well, we got another one here. It's in a little different scenario. Another tragic, tragic story of a murdered teenager. Um, but this seems to be a new thing. So the, 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 this murdered teenager, this is from The Independent, uh, was an avid gamer in New Orleans. And uh, they displayed his body sitting upright the in a family, chair. The family elected to do this. This isn't like... Yeah, no, no. This is, yeah, this is not like a, a club, I guess. But I suppose <laughs> the family consented to the club thing, too. Anyway, they put him... I'm looking at a picture, That's and they've horrific. got him sitting in a gaming chair with like a, a PlayStation controller and like full outfit and everything. He, I mean, he looks sort of normal. Like that's terrific. But this is apparently this is his wake. Yeah. So so basically, after he had been you know tragically murdered, his family thought you know. Well, I'll, I'll just read straight from it. His his mother told a local news station that her son was a bit of a homebody and mostly enjoyed staying in. In a video of the wake, Mr. Matthews can be seen on a leather swivel chair wearing sunglasses with a bottle of root beer on a side table next to a packet of crisps, a box of chocolate chip crunch breakfast cereal on the floor next to his chair. So this is a thing, right? I mean, now that we have two of these. Yeah, it's, one one is a like, a, a, you know, could be an isolated event. Now it's becoming a trend. Listen, I, I to be honest with you, I mean, who's to say that everybody should be laid to rest with a half open casket and a suit and a tie? Like, so you're for this? I actually, I mean, it's different. You're for the development. I mean, it, it, it it's what this guy loved, and, and his he, family knew what he loved, and they wanted everybody to remember him, uh, remember him how, doing what he loved. I, like, oh, I, that's kind of fair. Ashbrook, if a piece of Skylab falls and knocks you down today, and we got to figure out how to pose you, uh, what are we doing? Uh, Cincinnati Reds jersey. <laughs> I'm going to um, remind your wife of this if this happens. <laughs> I mean, but I, but to be honest with you, you know, it's. I think it's. You I think like it's, it. I think it's unique. I think it's something that's. Uh, that I think it's interesting. So there's new wakes now. <clears throat> Old man, what's your take here? Well, I'm just. I'm wondering if anybody went ahead, and, like, plugged in a second controller and oh, started start, start, started the game and and maybe dunked on them. Oh God. That's awful. It's like when you're, wouldn't that be awful? <laughs> if, if you're playing with like a younger sibling, hey, you'd be like, right. yeah, yeah, you're player number two, and you don't even plug the remote in, you know. <laughs> We're gonna keep an eye on this well, developing if, story. If if it was a friend who this guy smoked on a regular basis and for in sure video games, yeah. Well, then that's something. Yeah. I don't know, smug. Are you open to this? Yeah, you said you got to be just. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. To me, it's just morbid. Like yeah. I said, you know, cremate me. I want nothing. Nothing behind for people to, you know, drag through the streets. I was just going to say, you're going to be drugged through the streets, yeah, though. not happening, you know. So, I, I need my body instantly disposed of. <laughs> <laughs> it's wise. Wise counsel. All right, let's get into the meat of this. Uh, the risk of recession, fellas, is becoming very real. Goldman Sachs, according to MSN, uh, sees U.S. recession odds at 35% over the next two years. Uh, history suggests that the Federal Reserve will face a difficult task in fighting monetary policy enough to cool down inflation without causing a U.S. recession. The odds of a contraction at about 35% over the next two years, according to Goldman Sachs. Wow. I think uh, so. I think it's greater than personally. I think it's greater than 35%. I think Goldman, who would imagine Goldman's got a lot of conflict of interest here, you know, like. <laughs> 
when you've got your fingers in every pie, like, do you want to say, you know, hey, guys, a recession is on the way when, you know, a lot of your profitability comes, for example, from a venture arm right. where you're trying to encourage people to invest and deploy capital like, oh, it's a growing market, except, you know, your analysts are now telling me it's a recession. Like, Why? these are, you know, you're, you're crossing a lot of wires. And, and, and the fact that, you know, like I mentioned on a previous episode, you've already saw that the yield curve is inverted, the two and the 10 year for the uh, U.S. Treasuries, yeah. which is a classic signal that within the next roughly 18 months, like I think eight of the past nine recessions, you've had the yield curve uh, invert. And then within 18 months, you get a recession. So, I mean, Goldman knows all of this. They know all of this, you know. So they're gonna, but they're going to give you 35. They're going to give you 35 percent. So then like. When it does arrive, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we, mentioned, we, factored we thought it was in. on the way. We factored We thought it, it was on the way. But I think that's really, look, inflation is horrible. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it uniquely affects every American family. Inflation coupled with an economic contraction of any kind where we're starting to see massive job loss. I mean, fellas, that sounds to me like a recipe for absolute disaster. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Uh, it's 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 going to be a very unique situation because uh, I think part of the problem that a lot of folks have is they always project their past experience forwards as as thinking every you know uh, for a lot of folks roughly our age they would think a recession would resemble something like two thousand eight, which you know was the crash because of uh, mortgage backed securities, and I think it the 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 effects of it are going to be very different. And, and uh, I've been doing a bunch of reading about this lately. What's interesting is after 2008, um, you know, the banks basically were in an awful situation. Every American was pretty much in a terrible situation. The, the entire, you know, uh, financial Globe. system really, the, yeah. on the planet almost collapsed. And the place where people started investing, you started seeing growth was in technology, right? That's mm-hmm. like right after that's when you saw the rise of the large tech companies really take off, you know. Facebook, Google, like all, all, all those tech companies really started growing in that period. They, you saw a lot of venture capital investment start after that. You saw a lot of tech companies really, you know, explode yeah. in that time period post 2008 because that's where, you know, a lot of folks started saying this is a place that we can kind of like engineer recovery from. Well, now you've got a situation where a lot of the tech companies that have been getting this venture capital funding and their valuations that have gotten sky high they're having another round of fundraising and their valuation, if they're lucky, is staying where it is. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of tech companies that have been way overheated, way overheated. I mean, we work, you know, the names, there's there's so many names out there. Totally. Um, that you've seen the valuations just completely deflate. And so the question is not only what's this recession going to look like, it's what's going to be able to pull us out of it. Right. Right. And that, I mean, look, it's an open question because you're dealing with various sectors of the economy that because of public policy, chiefly the Biden administration, are in a tough spot no matter what, right? Energy is a perfect example. This is another thing that mm-hmm. drug us out of the last recession. Yep. But if you've got an administration that's entirely committed to ruining domestic energy supply, that doesn't feel great either. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's gonna, I, I, I'm praying that yeah. we don't have any significant downturn. But I myself am, 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 am you know, wagering on it happening. I'm trying to, you know, protect my own financial situation. I, I, I foresee it, you know, based on all the signals historically of a recession approaching. And the worst part is that this is just an administration that is completely incapable of the situation. When when they tried saying inflation number one doesn't exist, when they when they scoffed at it, laughed at it, when Saki yep. was saying, oh, you know, you'll just have to wait a little longer for your Peloton, go make yourself a margarita, when Americans are, are, are struggling to get by, 
um, they're ill-equipped. They don't know what they're doing, and it's it you know it would be an absolute nightmare to see these people try to uh, restore an economy on its knees. Well, an, an absolute nightmare made worse by the fact that the vast majority of Americans can't do any financial planning because of the high prices that yeah. we've got. Right? Axios reported this week that. The inflationary moment we're right uh, we're in right now won't last forever, but the good old days of cheap goods and even cheaper services may be long gone. Yeah, gas, food, and other consumer prices have soared with no end in sight. Food costs are rising dramatically. In fact, eating at home was pricier than ordering out last month. I've, I can personally testify to that. According to the latest data, used car prices. Uh, are in retreat, yet still a staggering 35% higher than they were last March. Incredible. So, I mean, look, there's not a lot you can do if you're paycheck to paycheck and you're trying to figure this out. Well, and, and, and wages aren't keeping up with the rate of inflation, right? And not so even you close. Got, so you've got these companies who basically priced in the inflation, but they haven't priced in what's going to happen here in six months yeah. or nine months or, you know, the, the end of the year when, late, you know, the labor supply comes back and is like, well, we, we need a wage increase, right? To ju- you know, because of the inflationary spiral that we're in. And then at what point do these companies have a labor contraction? Right. That's when this really starts to kick yeah. off. Well, and you've got, and you've got supply chains. Right. That are, that are forcing demand down. Right. I mean, it's like, you've got, you've got all the demand in the world right now, except nobody can get anything. And so you, you like things start to contract naturally after time. All of these things are put together. You can see a, a puzzle being put together mm-hmm. that, as Smug says, is, is extremely concerning. From a political perspective, I mean, look, Republicans have been talking about this for two years. Yeah, and that's another thing is the only folks who have been mentioning inflation, these economic hardships that the average American is facing at the gas pump, at the grocery store, Democrats have acted like it's not happening. They've completely denied it. They've just said it's not happening. And and I think uh, hopefully they, they have a price to pay for, for absolutely abandoning the American people in this moment of their need. Well, I think you're already seeing some significant movement toward Republicans in real time. I mean, if you look at the, the net difference in voter registration since 2020, Florida, for example, Republicans are up 245,000. Pennsylvania, Republicans up 120,000. North Carolina, up. For Republicans, ninety-two thousand. Iowa, fifty thousand. Oklahoma, fifty-six thousand. Nevada, twenty-five thousand. There are serious movement going on toward the Republican Party right now, and I think that a lot of it has to do with what you described. Yeah. And those numbers are net. That's more registrations than even the Democrats. Right. It's huge, huge right. movement. Yeah. No, it is. It is. But it, it does go to show that there is ba- precisely one party left in this country that is anywhere near concerned about the economic well-being of the American people. Yeah. You know, I mean, these guys, they live in their in their sheltered life with, you know, people who can make a living on Zoom over the last two years and their lives barely changed a bit. Whereas every other American out there trying to make a living has been just decked by every policy that they've got coming down the pipe. And that's the important thing to remember. None of this shit. Sometimes a recession finds you. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes the economy collapses in weird ways. Sometimes there's huge financial mistakes like there was in 08 with, you know, all kind of, we don't need to get into it, but, but, and then sometimes there's just really dumb shit policy. Yep. And if you do enough dumb shit policy at a federal level that all works together in the same way to wedge against the American people, that's what you got here. 
And that's what these people are responsible for. Well, I think people people buy groceries. They pay a lot more than they have been paying. And then they go home and they flip on TV and they, they listen to Joe Biden talk and they listen to Kamala Harris talk. And neither of them can put two sentences together. And they're like, well, <laughs> it doesn't okay. inspire a lot of confidence. Not at all. No, I know. Speaking of not, I want to get into this, uh, Duncan, because I know you're like the, the Wordle guy here. The word I haven't played Wordle in like months. Because you got bullied out of it. Finally. No, I just, once once it was bought by the New York Times, I, it kind of lost. They sold it. out. You're like, yeah. yeah. I only liked it when it was underground. That's right. Okay. I was, I was very like alternative about it. You know, they sold out. So you're now anti-Wordle? No, no. I still like wor- Wordle. I just, I just, not part of my routine anymore. Well, you have it in common with the vice president. Oh, okay. <laughs> she came out uh, very prominently yesterday and declared that she has a hundred percent Wordle uh, career score. I don't even know what the fuck that means. Does that but mean you do it every day? Is it like? You yeah, I, I think it, it means she's never missed missed a Wordle. Like, you know, you get six tries. Like, she's never actually failed. Well, a I'm glad that but, she can have things like the border on her plate and like <laughs> right. foreign policy. But she'll that Wordle. She's knocked well, I, that out, I, no I matter think, what. I, th- I think they, they put this out. For, for folks who aren't familiar with the game, most listeners may be familiar, but the, the challenge is to spell a, a five-letter word uh, and get the right word. And I think they put this out just to show that she's she can, capable of spelling a five-letter word. There's a lot of doubt out there, and they're trying to convince people that's something she can do. But it also feels like you know they're grasping at straws for so long to try to humanize yeah. her. They're like, no, she's, she's just so, like one of us. She's the she, like least relatable person. She, the least politics. relatable person of all time. And but but I think this is in hilarious stereotypical fashion of this White House. Wordle is the way that you do that. No, it's right. It's funny, <laughs> right? It's funny, but it tracks because it seems like she's she's grasping for a word when she tries to complete a sentence most days. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's got plenty of words. They just don't fit together right, in right, a sentence. Right. Or a this whole syntax thing is the problem. It's <laughs> incredible. Uh, did you guys see the story about a kindergartner who brought Jose Cuervo margaritas to snack time? Hell yeah. No, but awesome. Uh, <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> Parents at Grand River Academy, uh, what is it? Livonia? Livonia? Livonia, yeah. Livonia? Livonia. Uh, Livonia. Are outraged when a kindergartner brought a bottle of ready-to-drink Jose Cuervo margaritas and multiple students <laughs> drank from them. Alexis Smith is one of those parents. Her kindergartner uh, had a Dixie cup full of the mixed tequila drink, uh, and she <laughs> said she had four or five sips. Smith and another mom, uh, Dominique Xanders, were baffled when they learned what happened. Wow. I mean, it's it's fun to joke about, but putting yourself in the in the place of these parents whose kids came home and they drank uh, margaritas, it's, I mean... I would you gotta be horrified at that. Well, to to be honest, though, you know, I mean, a pre-mixed, ready to drink. Oh, you're gonna go margarita. For the ABV? Well, I'm gonna say I'd be more worried about the sugar, frankly. <laughs> I'd be more worried about what the teachers are teaching. Let the kids have a margarita if you gotta listen to that woke bullshit. <laughs> it might be the best thing they've got going. That's how you gotta listen. I mean, so I guess I don't know. Does nobody they, they let? The kid, I mean, God knows you can't even bring a peanut anywhere near a school yeah, right, zone any right, longer. Right. But yeah, now, how does this happen? But now, apparently, when your snack time is up, you can bring in Margs. I mean, shout as- out to this kid. You got to sit and listen to teachers tell you you're racist for like eight <laughs> hours a day. 
Yeah. He's just trying to take the edge off, you know? The kid's And he's, he's sharing. He's got the Dixie Cups. Like, that's what's hilarious to me, <laughs> is the visual of the Dixie Cups. This guy's got a party to go. They don't say whether or not anybody got all banged up. <laughs> they say that the moms were upset. They're like four or five sips. So, I mean, the kids knew what they were doing. They are kind of taking it slow, you know? They're not, they're not trying to, like, you know, you always get those horror stories of, like, the first time someone gets out of their house when they get to college, and they just, like, instantly get blackout, and they're like, Sent for, to the to the emergency room for alcohol poisoning or something. These kids took it slow. Yeah, four or five sips, just trying to kick the edge off. We did. <laughs> it's a stressful day at kindergarten. <laughs> but here's the worst excuse of all time: the school released a statement that says, "While we try to keep an eye on everything our students bring to school, that's simply not possible." Oh man, it's unfortunate that these types of adult beverages can be easily be mistaken for child friendly drinks. Think about that. That is the worst excuse I've ever fault. heard. It says Jose Cuervo on Un- the bottle. Unbelievable. Does that sound like a Capri Sun to you? Meanwhile, they're standing over every kid making making sure they're wearing a mask. Yeah. There you go. They're triple masked. And, and Lord knows if you had some sort of politically suggestive shirt on, they'd make you take that thing off. Yeah, they notice that. Oh, God man. forbid they show up with something that says Dole Kemp. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at it now. <laughs> I'm looking at a... F- a photo of the Jose Cuervo classic margarita in the premix here. It looks like a mini bottle of tequila, <laughs> you know, and it's bright lime green and it says Jose Cuervo right on it. How could you possibly okay. miss this? Now I'm looking at the image. That looks straight up just like a bottle of tequila, <laughs> let alone like mixed. That's that's straight up a bottle. I love the, while we try to keep an eye on anything, if your kid brings in cyanide, we might miss a few things. <laughs> I mean, like, that's really encouraging if you're a parent that like, you're dropping your child off, you know, to these people who supposedly are going to be responsible for them. Can't even make out a Jose Cuervo bottle. Well, and it sounds like they would have been fine if, if Alexis Smith and Dominique Xanders didn't uh, rat out their kids. Right. You know, it sounds like they sounds like they got them busted. Um, all right. So last week we talked, uh, which was a great interview, I might add, uh, with former Attorney General Bill Barr. And got some insight into the Durham investigation, the origins of that, his suspicions about where that's going. Um, But Fox News has an interesting article out yesterday where special counsel John Durham asserted in a court filing Friday last week that the CIA concluded data from the Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman alleging coordination between Donald Trump and Russia was, quote, not technically plausible, unquote. And was quote user created. Hmm. Hmm. Right. In the filing, Durham responded to objections from Sussman's defense regarding what evidence could be admissible at Sussman's trial, which was scheduled to begin next month. Sussman is accused of lying to the FBI and saying that he was not attending a meeting on behalf of a particular client when he was actually representing, uh, presenting information on behalf of Hillary Clinton's campaign and the technology executive with whom he worked. Yep, this is exactly what you thought it was, folks. This is exactly what you thought it I was. I wonder how, how much the media, who for four years, you know, like the cover of Time magazine was plastered with, uh, uh, was it St. Peter's Square taking over the White House? Oh, yeah. How much the media that pushed this, like, Russia's taking over America, Trump is a KGB agent delusion for four years, how many of them are going to be issuing corrections or apologizing? My guess is zero. I don't think we're going to hear a lot from them. I don't know. Old man, you get pretty worked up about this sort of thing. What's your take? I mean, I'm just so stunned. <laughs> I'm just so stunned that, you know, there's 
we're finally getting to the 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 point where we might see some actual consequences for this. Yeah, uh, and I'm thrilled, and you know, I'm reminded by what Bill Barr said in that interview, and you know, it's frustrating, obviously, that you know the timeline for justice doesn't fit the political calendar. Uh, but I'm hopeful that we might actually finally get to the end of this thing. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the time bombs that he left on the way out the door that thank goodness we have the Durham investigation. I mean, does anybody have any question that if that thing wasn't impaneled that we would never know? Oh yeah. Yeah. This would be buried. 100% buried. I mean, we, there's zero, less than zero intellectual curiosity from the media about what really happened here. Right. Because I mean, it's just they, like Hunter's laptop, you know? I mean, they ignore it as long as they possibly can until they can anymore. The media accomplished all of their aims. They helped Dems win, number one. Number two, they all made a boatload of money. Like, all these idiots went and put out their books about, about how Trump-Russia connection. Every moron who'd, who'd been, like, a receptionist at an FBI, like, field office... In, in, in like the now middle MS, of yeah, nowhere now an MSNBC now like, contributor yes, yeah. I, I'm like the top spy in America and here's my book <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. and it, here's my it, Twitter account Infosec expert oh, oh yeah. is always in oh, their yeah. Twitter bio totally you know? <laughs> yeah. these frauds who all they all made a boatload of money yeah. do you think they want to be like oh actually guys you know we were full of shit absolutely not they're gonna act like it never happened I'm open for ideas other than just ragging on them which we do well here in the variety program I'm open for ideas on how we hold these people accountable I really am because look the long arm of the law looks like it's coming for a few of them but what's not going to be immediately known is how you hold the front pages of the Washington Post, Mm -hmm. New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, the people who literally poisoned the mind Mm -hmm. of American people across this country with information that was not only false, but was designed to try to fool them. And was carrying the water, I might add, of Russia. Right. Of Russia. The Russian collusion was happening. It was just them. Right. You know, it, no, I'm like, sure they loved it. It made them look very, very powerful and sinister. Oh, <laughs> God, it's it's so hard to even begin to express the frustration. But we're going to stay on it. We're going to follow that one all the way through. Um, you guys want some animal news? Of course. <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> so I, I've noticed this, by the way. Venice is declaring war on seagulls. I say a good thing. Yeah. Terrible creature. Terrible creature. Uh, For years, food-stealing seagulls have wreaked havoc on Venetian hotels, and now the hotels are fighting back and have begun aiming at the city's locals and tourists with squirt guns to fend off pizza-snatching birds. So Wait, so they're they're giving the tourists squirt guns? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're giving them something to try to fight back against. That seems kind of weak. I mean, that seems weak. Like, get get them a shotgun and some (laughs) birdshot. I don't know that you can fire that off indiscriminately on the streets of Venice. Well, you fire it a couple of times, you're not going to have any a seagull problem anymore. Well, so that's the that's the question. Because we've all been to the beach where you've got if you leave a hot dog out on a beach, it takes like point two seconds before one of these rats with wings steals it out of your right whatever. If you take a couple of them out, you think you send a message? Has I don't know. Tried? Maybe it's uh, maybe it'd be like the scarecrow version of seagull defense. You know, like a guy with a shotgun. It, it, I don't right. know. Well, right. I wonder what the harm would be in just mowing him down. <laughs> you know, like if you said one day, you know, beach closed, 
And then you just throw a bunch of hot dogs on the sand and then just light them up. Just a seagull <laughs> massacre. Know? Take out hundreds of them at once. <laughs> I wonder if that have like any bad effect because I don't know if they're like uh, they have a role in the ecosystem. Like you know, do well, no, I mean, the food right, or I'm sure, like I'm sure that they do, but but you know, just <laughs> I think we find out by mowing just, them down. Just, <laughs> we'll deal with that next. But you know how like at airports they've got those sirens and stuff to scare the birds away, so you don't have bird strikes for planes that are taking off. Why can't we have that around some beaches? That's a great point. Or, or, or do they have like a natural predator? Like what if you unleash just eagles, like five or six Oh, eagles? yeah, eagles take those things out yeah. left and right. Yeah, that's what you do. Probably need a seabird like an osprey. <laughs> some kind of a sea-based bird. Is that a big enough bird to get the job done? Uh, I think so. Let me look. He's taking a look. I have a bald eagle. I remember that article of how like a bald eagle was able to like in Alaska lift a deer. And it was flying yeah. off with the deer, and it was too heavy. And oh, it yeah. fell into power lines. Osprey's got this all day. Yeah. No problem? Oh, yeah, no problem. So, I mean, I, look, is anybody going to come to the defense of the seagull? <laughs> I think we're all interested in seeing the most effective way to get rid of them. <laughs> like, seriously. Water guns seem like not not the job. You got to really up, you got to step it up a little also bit. Also feels very Italian, doesn't it? It's so weak. It's, it, it's <laughs> very weak. <laughs> It's yeah. very weak. I don't understand how it is that you can fight these off with a, with a squirt gun, but I'm all for anything that we can try here. And, and it's surprising. It's disappointing. You think Italians would roll up with the real guns, right? <laughs> well, so so smug, smug, That's smug. totally. You should hit the racist <laughs> button on that. <laughs> racist. <laughs> smug, smug, I stand corrected here. Eagles are listed as a predator of the seagull. Let's go. Yeah. Also falcons. <laughs> you could have a falconer. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. You'd be the most popular guy on the beach. You could be a falconer on the beach, allowing your falcon to take out the seagulls. We could all bet on them. Yeah. Which is terrific. This is great. This is great. We got to find more things to bet on. All right. Um, fellas, should we get to our interview? Absolutely. Let's do it. Ted Bud. I want to welcome to the program uh, a gentleman who is in the midst of a very important Senate race in North Carolina, Congressman Ted Budd. Welcome to the program. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Listen, you know, I mean, I got to say, North Carolina the last few cycles has been like uh, ground zero of determining who co- holds control of the Senate. I imagine it's going to be that again this year. Uh, what's different? You've had a you've had a primary that you've been working through. Poll show uh, here in the last couple of weeks, you've started to spread things out a little bit. How do you feel? Yeah, we feel good. We know there's a lot of work to do. There's about 29 days left as of this visit right now. Um, and we've just got to get out all around the state. Still a few more counties that I haven't yet been to. So looking forward to talking directly to voters and, and getting out there. But I think, you know, we're pulling ahead. I'm, I'm not a political scientist, but I would say North Carolina, because it's always up in the air, activist courts, you know, people, voters out there that I'm talking to, I've uh, just said, now we know where the lines are for congressional lines. And we know when the primary date is. Remember, this primary was supposed to be March 8th. So in the rearview mirror, but we've still got, you know, just under a month to go. So it gets jacked around <laughs> yeah, a lot. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we like, oh my gosh. Well, look, uh, because I'm not as well known in the state, now I'm getting more well known. Uh, I think it was to our advantage. Yeah. So tell, let's let's back up a little bit. And because you're a, you're a small business guy and came to Congress a few years back. Uh, let's get a little bit of your background. How do, how do have you always been interested in politics? Where did you grow up? What, what do we got going? I've always been around it. I was born in Winston-Salem, grew up on a family farm, still on that family farm right now. 
uh, right outside of Winston-Salem, little county, Davie County. It's, uh, we punch above our weight. Um, and like, I don't call myself a farmer because my neighbors are working way too hard to earn that title, but uh, it's still an active cattle farm today. It was a chicken farm, uh, Tyson chicken farm years ago. Um, went to App State, um, met, my, met my wife while I was on a mission trip over in the Soviet Union. It was 1991 when the wall actually, no, she had been there and I'm sorry, she had been in as a rotary exchange student in 89 when the wall came down um, over in Europe and then, you know, trained over there to see it. Uh, but two years later, 91, we were on a mission trip and that's when the iron curtain collapsed. So um, yeah, it was pretty cool meeting. She's from Marshall university, West Virginia, coal miners, granddaughter. Um, but a hell of a know, place to meet, right? <laughs> it was awesome. There were about the 400 Americans on that trip. We chartered two Aeroflot uh, planes to go over there. It took us forever to get from JFK over to Moscow and then actually Kiev in Leningrad. They were changing their name to St. Petersburg at the time. But yeah, I was just, you know, a rising sophomore at App State. So we didn't really know what was happening as far as the, you know, the Iron Curtain falling. But it was now we got back when we got back to the U.S. I did two things. One is we turned on cable, which was new for us here in rural North Carolina to see what was going on. And the second is I bought Jimmy Buffett's CD, Cheeseburger in Paradise, because <laughs> it was great. It was, it was great to, it was great to have a cheeseburger back here in the U.S. I bet. How long were you over there? It was a short trip. So it was like 10, 12 days, okay. August 1st through 12th of 91. And, you know, just amazing history that we were right there able to see. I didn't know how many cars raced in and out of the Kremlin, uh, you know, as a 19 year old. Uh, but, you know, now we realize it was a ton and it was just masses amounts of people. You could just feel the tension now that you looked back on it. Important time in the history of the world, but it sounds like it's yeah. an important time in the history of Ted Bud too, meeting your wife there. Yeah. And then later on went to um, uh, back to the family business and, you know, worked there. Uh, but before that, we went to seminary. Uh, we got married, went to Dallas, Texas, got our uh, master's in Christian education. I actually have a THM, uh, Master of Theology in Educational Leadership and Family Life. Thought we'd end up in a group like Young Life, you know, college ministry, something like that. Um, and then uh, actually ended up going back to the family business, which was very timely. My oldest brother, who was running that business, actually, uh, his wife got cancer. He was you know, having to focus on that, lost his wife, but it was had to really ramp up my leadership of a small business. It was a janitorial business. So we had the farm and, a, you know, ever closer to Winston-Salem, my dad was and brother were growing this janitorial landscaping business. So after seminary, it wasn't uh, ministry. It was right into a small family business for me and later went back and uh, left that, got my MBA at Wake Forest and uh, bought an indoor gun range. Yeah, that's what I wanted that. to talk to you about. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That, that's what you were doing when you initially ran, right? That's right. I still own it today. Yeah. Got a great team uh, that runs it. Um, but it was like 2010, so it was almost 12 years ago. And a local police department came to me and they said, would you buy this bankrupt closed indoor gun range? And I was like, hey, who goes bankrupt in a gun range under Obama? So <laughs> it was 2010. Floor management, floor management. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it was that. And we, we found a lot of things that could have been done a lot better than we have. Um, but opened it for the police department as my one customer, but the training captain there, uh, before I opened it, he said, never underestimate the need of the public to have a safe place to shoot. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I looked at him across the table over at uh, you know the, the police department. And I said, "You want me to open this to the public?" He said, "Absolutely." And so we did, and uh, we knew eventually they would fade out and uh, build their own range, and they did. And so now it's uh, we train a lot of smaller police departments, private police departments, uh, but a lot of customers as well. So glad I took his advice years ago. Yeah, no kidding, right? That's a that's a nice on ramp to a larger business uh, model there for sure. So so tell mm-hmm. me tell me this, Ted, because it sounds like you've had sort of a piece of politics in every moment of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did you decide you wanted to just get involved personally? It really wasn't until I put my name on the ballot in 2016. Now I was always around it. I mean, uh, I remember writing a letter and I don't know, it would have been mid nineties, uh, to justice Thomas, just thanking him for his work. And he wrote me back. I was like, that's really cool. When I was a student at app state, I was a freshman. They don't give you a lot of rules, but they say, all right, don't throw trash out your dorm room window. But I had a dump. I was the only guy that had a dumpster five floors below my window. So <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to walk to the end of the hall and put it in the chute. I can put it right. And I would hit it every time. We just drop it right out the window, right into the dumpster, clean every time. But they didn't like that. They gave me 20 hours of community service as a freshman. And I said, well, hang on a minute. It was the fall of 1990. Jesse Helms was running for reelection here in North Carolina against the mayor of Charlotte. And uh, I said, you know, I'm going to ask them if I can phone bank in Watauga County where Appalachian State is. And I phone bank for Jesse Helms in for the election in 1990 and burned off my 20 hours of community service. I don't think a public state funded school would ever let anybody do that for a conservative anymore. But oh, you slip one past them there. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, it doesn't sound like you violated the spirit of the rule anyway. No, no, I was serving our community and making our state better at the same time by phone banking. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's great. So, you know, you get into what was initially just a wild primary in your first run for Congress. I think there's like 15 candidates or something or other. Um, did you have, did, did you, did you just know you were going to win this? I mean, it seems like no way. I never on the ballot before. That's a pretty big jump. No, I've never been on the ballot. I mean, okay. So what was going on nationally? I mean, you got, you know, Trump run, you got 17 way primary nationally. I didn't know it was going to be a 17 way primary locally, but I had gone in March of 2016 and voted in the primary for Virginia Fox and uh, as my Congresswoman. But within a few weeks, I had gone over to Raleigh, filled out uh, the forms and put my name on the ballot. So that was Good Friday of 2016. So kind of an anniversary. Uh, and then when we opened it, so before we clicked on our news, we were hoping the paper the next day and said, all right, well, let's see who signed up. Because a good friend of mine had said, you know, there's going to be only five people that run. Here's how you can win it. It'll be no problem. Went, oh, okay. And I'd been interested in maybe running one day. And we talked about it. We had three young kids at the time um, and we were all on board. We talked about it for you know a week or so, prayed about it at the dinner table. But um, when I went and signed up, we opened the paper that Saturday before Easter. And I was like, oh, my word, 17 <laughs> candidates. I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to go back to business, let my name be on the ballot. I was like, why even bother? There were people that were in the state house, state senate, well-known candidates, well-funded candidates. Like, there's no way. Right. But you know, I started looking at this. I met people that said, oh, you got to meet this general consultant. You got to meet these folks, you know, that can help support your race, that support small government, conservatives, lower taxes. Like, okay, great. We meet these folks and essentially we coalesced a team 
that uh, we ended up winning with 20%. So it was a plurality mm-hmm. and it was the highest. I mean, obviously highest, but 20%. And then there were four tens and then all the way down to just a handful of votes. So we won with twice as many uh, votes as the next on the ballot, but it was fascinating. All for the pre- privilege of then going to the house and having to do it on a day-to-day basis. Although when you first got there, there were some good things getting done. Oh, we were. I mean, look, uh, you know, could we have gotten done more? Yeah. The you know, tax cuts, jobs act, um, you know, we passed healthcare reform in the house. Fortunately, didn't make it through the Senate, but we did a lot of good things. Deregulation, um, uh, you know, it was it was part of driving the economy. And I was on the Financial Services Committee. So I got an A committee right out of the gate, which was, as I heard, as I learned then, it was kind of rare. But I got to see Jeb Henserling from Texas as the chair of that committee wage war against Maxine Waters. So literally, when I would look behind me on the dais, I would see Maxine Waters. I'd go, now I know what we're up against. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no question about that. So, I mean, you've been on financial services throughout I got to imagine as you're talking to voters and we'll get into your Senate race in a second, but I imagine as you're going across North Carolina, the economy is probably first amongst equals in terms of the concerns that people have right now. It really is. People are worried. It just depends on where you are as to what their concerns are, but they kind of hover around, you know, one is the border and the resulting crime. If I'm talking to um, law enforcement all over the hundred counties, one sheriff told me in the eastern part of the state, he said every single county is now a border county because of Biden's policies at the border. And I was just down at the border, I mean, uh, not too many uh, months ago. Um, and you could just see the tragedy of what's going on there and how it's affecting us here. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and the second thing would be, I would say, right there with it, uh, maybe even a tie is inflation. I mean, you got all this money, as Milton Friedman would say, chasing goods that aren't there because people have been incented not to produce. And ultimately it leads to inflation. I like to say it's, it's turned us into an eBay economy where everything gets bid up and uh, you know, it's a giant auction and it's hurting regular folks out there. $5,200 uh, for the average family. Nobody's got that laying around. Uh, it's ridiculous. No, it's totally wild. Right. I mean, and, and 5,200 bucks, it's more than double the largest tech cut we've ever had. And it's double in the other direction. I, I got to imagine that most people in the communities that you're talking about are just feeling absolutely besieged by the Biden agenda. Oh, they are. I mean, they know it's a failed. That's why poll numbers are so low. Yeah. You know, most people could shrug, you know, shrug it off and say, well, they're just going to go back to work and focus on other things for four years. But no, I mean, it is it is gripping people. They can't outrun it. You've got a lot of people, retirees, other folks that are on fixed income and uh, they, uh, you know, they can't outrun it. So it's it's tragic, and it's it's all it's all self inflicted by uh, the Biden administration. I mean, from energy policies uh, to economic policies, at every point, at every turn, he's making a bad decision, and he doesn't realize. I mean, it's not the Washington elite; he's there to serve. It's the American people, right. and it's why it's hurt us so badly. Yeah, it really is. There's no question. So, so you've decided now you're going to jump in the Senate race, and obviously, Senate seats don't open every day. Uh, North Carolina, as we just said, has been sort of a, a ground zero in terms of where this these things are fought out. I think it's been a couple hundred million bucks that Democrats have set on fire in North Carolina the last few, few cycles. But here you are. You're in the middle of it. You got a primary that you're currently leading. Uh, have Democrats started to uh, take the knives out on you yet? Uh, they will soon. You see trackers every now and then. Not sure if that's from the primary folks or uh, 
or from the uh, from the Dems, but I know they will. They always uh, they always set money on fire. Look, I am not for wasting money, but I'm glad for them to waste their money. And uh, <laughs> I was in an elevator uh, not too long ago uh, with Chuck Schumer. So top floor of a building across the street from the Capitol. He gets in. I'm sure his detail was with him. It's basically just the two of us. He looks at me and he looks at me over those glasses and he goes, tell me about your state. And I go, no free consulting here is what I'm thinking. And I go, well, sir, they're leaving high tax states like yours and coming to great states like mine. (laughs) And about that time, the, the, the door opens and the elevator ride was over. So that's really what's happening. I mean, people are coming to North Carolina and you worry about, are they going to bring blue politics with them? A lot of, you know, the red folks from Northeast are coming here to North Carolina and they're bringing red politics with them. We'll welcome that all day long. Yeah. It's funny that you Uh, say that. I mean, we talked to to Governor Abbott in Texas about this, who, you know, they've been, they've been feeding in Californians into Texas, like by in droves over the last decade. But we talked about the same thing. And that's what you just said is what he said. Basically, People who are center right are the ones that are relocating themselves. And I, I got to imagine that that's kind of the same thing that you're seeing in North Carolina. It's certainly gotten in the last couple of cycles reversed a trend towards blue and, and gotten a little bit more red. Well, what's been happening since 2010 in this state was, I mean, this essentially had Democrat control in North Carolina for 150 years. And it was sort of an economic malaise. And then you had essentially when Tom Tillis was Speaker of the House. He re-engineered uh, I mean, their their program, and they won the state house, the state senate. He became speaker of the house, and that's really been the Carolina comeback to the credit of the general assembly. Here, other people would seek to steal that credit, but it was really them. So, for the past twelve years, it's helped make one of the best economic environments to do business in. And companies are wanting to move here left and right from the very tough environments, northeast. Um, uh, California, glad to have them here. And yeah, they bring, especially around the academic centers, they're going to bring some blue with them. But I think we've had more red here and we've stayed largely a red state. I mean, one, the the president, the last two cycles uh, here in North Carolina. So we got to keep our eye on it, but we're up. I can't remember what the number is, 50, 95,000. I saw the number last night, um, GOP registrations in our state. So We've got some good trends. We just have to keep working at it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in this Senate race and uh, former President Trump endorses you right away, basically. I mean, almost almost right after you get in into the race, you have his support and it's been a, a tough race all the way through. And like I said, now polls start to indicate you're beginning to pull away. Um, where do you think things stand here with, you know, just weeks here remaining? Yeah, 29 days to go. We're going to spend that as much time as we can talking directly to voters, hitting the counties that we haven't been in. Uh, the way to, I mean, this is the NASCAR state. So the way to lose a race is to let off the gas. We're not going to do that. Um, we're going to run like we're 10 points behind. There's no entitlement spirit here. Uh, and we're going to go out there and ask people for their prayers, for their support, for their vote. And we've been very consistent doing that. April 28th of last year is when I announced for the U.S. Senate. Um, and then, you know, but President Trump didn't come in until June. And really, when the congressional districts got upended by the activist courts, the voters said, hey, we're just going to hold off and we're going to pay attention later. But we've really come from 40 points behind. But we've got to, again, we've got to stay on the gas for the next 28 days. And then that's, the real fight is November. 
And that's what we have to win uh, as a state. You know, we've been in lots of forums with all of us up there and they say, will you promise to support the GOP nominee, whoever that is? Absolutely, my hand goes up every time because I'm going to support whoever that is. I think it will be me. I'm going to work to make it me. Um, but whatever it is, we got to keep this state red. We got to win, uh, not just for North Carolina, but for our country. I mean, we're defending a GOP seat right here. And in order for us to win the House and Senate uh, in some other swing seats, if that's Georgia, if it's Arizona, um, I mean, we got to defend North Carolina's turf. Yeah, no question about it. It's that kind of attitude that'll get it done too. It's uh, absolutely essential, both for the majority, as you said, for the country. One thing that I think is interesting about North Carolina that separates itself from some of the other swing states that we talk about is that the cultural conservatism, and I, I know that means different things to different people, but one of the things that I think you'd be blind not to see over the last couple of years here is this just radical shift to the left on almost every cultural issue, you know, whether it's education with CRT, you know, we mentioned the immigration issue. We've talked about, you know, life and, and liberty and pursuit of happiness, everything underneath it. It feels like this country is, is slipping. And I've always noticed that that is one component of the North Carolina electorate that just certainly doesn't get lost. People always have an eye on that. Yeah, they really do. Um, and we've got a great lieutenant governor here. I mean, we're outspoken about, you know, what we believe I would say, you know, when it comes to CRT and other social issues, we want to teach people to love our country, teach our kids to love our country, not to hate it. Um, there's a couple of philosophies. One is, are we really slipping or has the Band-Aid just been pulled off? Mm -hmm. I like to look at it like these problems have actually been going on for a long time. But when we sent kids home and parents started looking at their kids being taught, they said, what the heck are you teaching our kids? Not, I mean, science technology, engineering, mathematics. I mean, that's the, the future and the, the basics of the three R's, the reading, writing, and the arithmetic, as we, as we would say. Um, we have to continue to teach those basics, but the social leftist progressive agenda that they have jammed onto our kids, it crowds out the real stuff that needs to be taught. And so it's not just bad in and of itself. It, it's, it's an opportunity cost for real education that our kids need to make them successful and our country successful. So I don't know if it's just North Carolina, uh, but I think the Band-Aid has been ripped off and parents are now engaged. I mean, as I'm traveling around 100 counties, I'm seeing, oh, thanks, thanks for running for the U.S. Senate. Other folks, thanks for running for U.S. Congress. But we really need school board. I have never seen more energy yeah. for school, school boards right now and more candidates stepping up that conservative saying, I'm a parent. I've got school-age kids. I'm getting involved. No more sitting on the bench. Um, uh, you know, this is about our next generation. So have at it. I love it. And I'm fully supportive of these parents uh, stepping up and being involved in our kids' education. It's, to it's totally right. You're 100% right. Only so often do you have a Senate candidate in a room and the guy's like, hey, can you show me where the school board candidate is? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, uh, Ted Bud, I've got three big questions for you. And these are the ones that the listeners of the Variety program pay close attention to uh, are they fast forwarding and clipping you know clicking 15 seconds forward until they get to these last three they can weed anybody <laughs> out they know they know exactly <laughs> what kind of candidate you are the moment you get right. done with a third question so here's the here's the first one if you could plan your last meal on earth what would it be so that's scary that you actually get to plan your last meal because well, you could. there's consequences around that. But here we go. It here could go, go into the decision making, frankly. 
I think I would get a combo three meat plate and that's, and I represent Lexington, North Carolina, home of Lexington style barbecue. So definitely Lexington style barbecue, but as I'm traveling around, I also enjoy Eastern style barbecue as long as they both know how to do it. Right. Yeah. There's, there's inauthentic ways to do it. Yeah. So good barbecue, both styles are fine, but because my wife and I spent a little time in Texas, uh, we love brisket as well. So that's the three meat plate. And I would say followed up by dessert of, with pecan pie. I like that a lot. I remember, uh, what was it, last cycle, kissing Cal Cunningham, said he loves the barbecue, and it was him with like a gas grill. It was a brioche bun, right? And uh, and, and a Weber grill. I was like, oh. And he's from Lexington. Oh, come on. That's a <laughs> tough look, man. You can't get away with that in North Carolina. <laughs> no, no. Especially if you say you're from Lexington, which is the barbecue crap capital of the of definitely of North Carolina, some say of the world. Yeah, you got to keep your eye on that. Uh, All right. So second question, if you never got into politics and you had this time to do anything you wanted, your your business is doing your business thing, but you've got this this gap and you can blue sky this, uh, what would you want to do? Appreciate you saying blue sky because I actually would want to be a pilot for the Blue Angels or the uh, Air Force Thunderbirds. That's a lot it. of people don't know that I'm actually a, I'm a pilot. Um, you know, flew yesterday off the farm in a, a small Piper Cub. I didn't know and, that you had to have a Cub. My dad had a Cub growing up. Great planes, great planes. Yes. This one actually has electric start, so it's for the oh, modern. You don't man. have to get out <laughs> and start that thing. The Hemingway start, uh, which is the farewell to arms, as they call that. Exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> what he's talking about is the the Piper Cub. Uh, before the electric start, you'd actually just start the the, the propeller manually, which yeah, uh, you, you hang your arm inside on the throttle, and then you lean forward and you hand prop it. So. <laughs> A great way to lose a limb. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. So you, have you been a pilot your uh, adult entire adult life? Yeah, coming 29, 30 years. Uh, and then life tends to get in the way. Wife, uh, life, wife, kids, family, um, starting a business, all that stuff has pushed it to the back burners. Uh, but I am a pilot, instrument, commercial, multi-engine, all that stuff. And just try to stay current. And it's not a significant portion of my life. But uh, if I had that, that time, I would, I'd definitely fly for Navy blue angels or um, air force Thunderbirds. That's an awesome answer. I don't think we've had that one yet. That one's good. Uh, All right. So third question, and this is, this goes to what motivates Congressman Ted Budd and the way that we see it, everybody's motivated by one of two things. It's the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. Now it's not, it's, it's not in the, somebody likes to win and lose category. It's what motivates you to go do what you're doing. And some people are glass half full optimists that just want to go out and, and, and accomplish. The other side are people whose every accomplishment they've had in life, they've enjoyed for about two seconds. And every defeat that they've ever had is what ultimately motivates them to keep going, right? Those are the things that stick with them. So when thinking about all of that, where do you think you come down? Uh, definitely the thrill of victory. That seems uh, like the thrill of victory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thrill of victory. Uh, but ultimately knowing that my time here on earth is uh, valuable to others and I made life better for others. Yeah. So the victory, but for a purpose. Yeah, oh, that's great. Listen, that's awesome. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can help out if they'd like to. Yeah, easiest is my uh, name, tedbud.com. And it's one D on Ted, two on Bud, tedbud.com. That'll that's get you right. where you need to go. 
Listen, Congressman Ted Budd, good luck out there. As you know, this seat has to be, must be won. We will stay in touch with it all the way through and uh, keep us updated, will you? I sure will. Let's stay in touch. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. So, look, he seems like an incredibly nice guy. Um, I like guys like this who just sort of get into politics because they felt like they needed to do something about it. He's not a career politician in any form or fashion, but he was, you know, a small business guy and decided to get involved and won a really highly contested house race. And now here he is running for Senate. He looks like he's leading. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a tough race, you know, so it's always nice to have good candidates that are, that are running and ones with a really good, good attitude. He seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, totally. And keep your eye. Now, listeners, I know that we're in each of your states is going to be different in terms of when your primaries are, but some places voting has already happened. Ohio, for example, where we've had, I think, five guests at least, if not more. Um, go back through. Check out some of these interviews. We've interviewed almost everybody at this point. We have a few more to do, but we should have just about all your choices available somewhere if you go to ruthlesspodcast.com and, and check it out. That's right. We're doing our job because the media won't give you know conservatives a voice, or they won't let them have an interview. No, it's like so we got them. We got them covered. The the, the, the press will, What's your opinion on the twenty twenty election? And then like that's the end. That's of it. it. That's right? the end of it. The only thing they want to know. <laughs> anyway, I think we did it, fellas. Yeah, I'd say so. Absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. And uh, again, folks, this is a, a, a you know late breaking news. We're gonna have three episodes this week. Oh boy. Yeah. So until next time, minions, keep the faith. Hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Wednesday. Stay ruthless.